And just like that, he's gone. Joe Brady, one and done at LSU. The man mostly responsible for the Tigers' offensive success this past season is off to Charlotte to be Matt Rule's offensive coordinator. Congratulations, Panthers fans. Those two coaches' stock has never been higher. As for LSU, and LSU fans in particular, enjoy this national championship. Really, really enjoy it because a bunch of key contributors will not be around in 2020. Joe Burrow and Joe Brady, arguably the two most important pieces, are gone. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, Justin Jefferson, and two starting offensive linemen have declared for the NFL draft. Meanwhile, on defense, the Tigers are losing probably the best safety in college football, Grant Delpit, their leading tackler, Jacob Phillips, and fellow linebacker, Patrick Queen. It's LSU, so I'm sure there are plenty of four- and five-star studs to fill in the blanks at most of those positions. But will the Tigers find a good quarterback? And will the Tigers be able to replace Joe Brady? Steve Ensminger was the solo offensive coordinator in 2018. That was the year Grant made fun of Joe Burrow incessantly. You think Coach O trusts Hensminger to run the show again by himself? Doubtful. The early favorite to replace Brady is LSU offensive analyst Jorge Munoz. He's been in Baton Rouge for the past two years. Here's the point. LSU's 2020 outlook isn't all that great relative to what we just saw them accomplish in 2019. That's not going to matter to LSU fans. They just saw their favorite team put together perhaps the best season in college football history. But since this is an Oklahoma football podcast, I wanted to point out that while LSU is high up on the mountaintop right now, chances are they won't be there for long. Meanwhile, Lincoln Riley is still in Norman, just like we've been telling you he would be ever since this podcast debuted. Anybody who thought this was the offseason where Riley would bolt and jump to the NFL was misguided and ill-informed. My stance on Lincoln Riley has been the same ever since he took over Oklahoma's program in June of 2017. Because he is so young, Riley is 36 right now, he's got plenty of time to learn and grow as a coach at Oklahoma. You know what else he has time to do at Oklahoma? Build a program that can win a national championship. The day after Riley leads the Sooners to a national title, will be the day that I say Oklahoma fans should be getting prepared for his jump to the NFL. Unless we get to year 7 or 8, maybe up to year 10 even of Riley at Oklahoma, and the Sooners still can't get over the hump. He'd be in his 40s at that point, and by that time, without a national championship under his belt, Riley could decide that he's done all he can for the time being in the college game. That's the only scenario I envision Riley leaving for the pros before bringing number eight to Oklahoma. But back to this offseason. The Riley to the NFL rumors were everywhere in the national media, particularly rumors that he'd be the next coach of the Dallas Cowboys. The dots were easy to connect. Jerry Jones sees a young, creative offensive mind just a few hours north of the Metroplex in Norman. After all, Jones had already hired one former Sooners coach 26 years ago. Further, Riley's from Texas. I'm not sure if he's a Cowboys fan or anything like that, but in my experience, most Texans are. A chance to coach one of the most legendary franchises in all of pro sports is an opportunity you can't pass up, right? Well, we have no idea how much interest Jones really had in Lincoln Riley. After all, there's no chance Jerry Jones would have allowed the public to know that he had offered the job to Lincoln Riley only to see Riley turn it down. 
It's Jerry Jones. It's the Dallas Cowboys. They get their first choice of coach. At least that's what they want you to believe, whether it's true or not. In this case, it was Mike McCarthy, not Lincoln Riley. But in my opinion, without any sort of inside information, I don't think Riley wanted the job anyways. What's the most important thing a head coach needs in the NFL? A quarterback. If you're Lincoln Riley and you're seriously considering the NFL, the most important question is, will my NFL quarterback be a true upper-level franchise-type quarterback that has the makeup to contend for a Super Bowl year after year? When looking at the current Dallas Cowboys situation, Dak Prescott is certainly not that guy. He just isn't. Dak is good, but not a guy I'd want to hitch my wagon to for the next five to eight years. No way. And while Lincoln Riley is a fantastic quarterback coach, I think the 2019 season showed him that even he has limitations when it comes to getting the most out of a signal caller. Riley helped Jalen Hurts to the best season of his career, but it wasn't anywhere near good enough to compete with the LSUs, the Ohio States, or the Clemsons of the world. Riley had elite talent at the quarterback position before Jalen Hurts. Riley knows now more than ever that his coaching needs to be mixed with elite talent at the QB position in order to compete for championships. Not to mention, Riley still needs a defense that he can trust. Lincoln Riley and Alex Grinch will be back in 2020 for year two. It's clear to me that they want to see if they can build something big together. We've got eight months to talk all about it. I'm Lee Benson, and this is West of Everest. No intro today. We want to keep this one tight and efficient. So on the docket today, the future of Oklahoma's quarterback position, where do the Sooners need to improve to make the biggest jump so they can compete with the truly elite teams in college football, our early thoughts on the 2020 season, and plus you know, a couple other college football topics, which will probably include also Odell Beckham Jr. being an absolute moron. So without further ado, let's bring in Grant for the first time today. Grant, what's going on? Nothing much, just uh, preparing for what is a typical night or, or day in the Twin Cities of Minnesota, preparing for a large snowstorm that is supposed to hit tomorrow, so really excited for that. Great. Awesome. It sounds terrible. Are you planning on going to work? Yeah, I'll, I'll still go. It's not supposed to come until like around noon or so, so of course, just, just I, I'd say a pretty good excuse for me to get up really early and go into work at like five or something. No, good. I work really hard, man. Put in those hours. I just grind. Get up in the morning and grind. Yeah, and you're grinding right now, doing the second podcast this week. It's, uh, although I suppose we have taken a bit of a bit of a break between uh, the pre Peach Bowl podcast and. That's fired up to get on this, this one tonight, though. Yeah, some good stuff. Yeah, we, we we left a lot of stuff on the uh, on the chopping room floor earlier this week so i'm the chopping room floor i, I totally got that wrong that's not, is that even a thing that's not a thing i, totally I think you wanted to that. say the chopping block but then that wasn't right but the then chopping you block. wanted to say the cutting room floor the cutting so room I think you just kind of <laughs> <laughs> i think uh, I, that was okay it's it's a great start to 2020 don't do drugs uh, kids <laughs> That was actually, I think, one of the three-word reviews we got a few of them after the Peach Bowl because of uh, some of the players didn't play because of, uh, yeah, reportedly drugs. Is that out in the? Is that on the open now? Can we talk about that now? I think. I got, mean, it was never confirmed by the school. No, but okay. uh, that's they what got all the busted smoking were. weed. 
Yeah. That's where all the uh, public reports came out. Yeah. So anyways, quarterback position. Might as well start there because it's super important. And I talked a lot about it in my opening take about how the quarterback is the main thing. And I think a big reason why Lincoln Riley probably didn't even want to consider the Cowboys spot because I don't think Dak Prescott is a player that you'd want to hit your wagon to. And by the way, did you read through my opening take? Did you skim it? I don't know I if did. you have any thoughts yeah. on that. Um, I don't know. What do you want me if to not, comment that's on? fine. I, I, I agree with your assessment of Dak Prescott. and He's fine. It's he's just basically he, he's like he's like Eli Manning, basically. Yeah. I think when you're Lincoln Riley this past season, more than any other season, proved to him that, OK, I know I'm a really good coach because let's be real. I mean, Lincoln Riley, you don't get to where he is without having a lot of confidence and a little bit of cockiness. So he knows he's a fantastic coach. There's no doubt about it. But he also for sure found out this past season that if he wants to be or be a coach of a team that's as good as it can be, he's got to have a quarterback that can do everything he needs a quarterback to be able to do. There's only so much you can get out of a guy like Jalen Hurts. And obviously Dak Prescott is a lot better than Jalen Hurts, but relative to the NFL and being an elite quarterback and giving a team a chance to win a Super Bowl, Dak Prescott right now is just not that guy. And so if you're Lincoln Riley and you can make a jump to the NFL, you want to pick your spots is my point. You want to know that you're going to go to a place where you have a quarterback that can be pretty darn awesome. And that that's a big reason why I think that the Cowboys just weren't ever really a, real, a realistic spot right now for Lincoln Riley, among other things. So I think Dak Prescott can win a Super Bowl. I think, yeah, absolutely. I think he wouldn't. I wouldn't Super put Bowl like a, well. I wouldn't put like my life savings on it, but I, I mean, he can. It, but it wouldn't, uh, it wouldn't he needs a lot me. of help. He's just so inconsistent, man. And, I don't know. Uh, I thought he actually, uh, and from what I, and you know, I'll, I'll be honest. I didn't watch a ton of Cowboys this year, just being in Minnesota. But from what I watched this year, I, I thought he was greatly improved this year. And I know he, I know he was kind of, he, he went through some cold streaks. But his his highs this year, what I I think were the best he's ever looked in the league, and I think that's probably something to build on, especially if you get a quarterback friendly coach in there. I think the big asterisks next to Dak Prescott this year, because I agree, I think early on in the year he was showing and displaying a lot of attributes that you need to to have as an elite quarterback in this league. You look at that schedule; he did it all against really bad teams. The schedule the Cowboys played was pretty pretty awful, and whenever he played against some good teams and not so great teams or average teams. He he was just average. He was okay. I mean, look no further than the big Eagles game when the Eagles had all these injured guys. And I think the Cowboys only mustered, what, six points or something like that in a must-win game. And so it just he, – he never really played up or played his best against any good teams from what I, I can remember. I think that's fair, but I think, I think there's a history of quarterbacks in the NFL, especially mediocre to bad ones. Uh, not being able to put up games like that against bad teams either, and if I'm not mistaken, wasn't didn't like Dak shredded those teams, right? Like, I mean, put up monster numbers against uh, the bad teams. Yeah, I mean, mostly early on in the year, and then things kind of started. And, to and, out my, and my, just... my point is, I mean, J- Jacoby Brissett wasn't shredding any team, good teams or bad teams. <laughs> So, I mean that's that's uh, what I'm the, saying. Like from you, the Colts fan there, yeah. You you, you have to you have to be at, at least at you know to some sort of level to be at the point where you can consistently shred the bad teams. Um, are there examples of people taking that next step? Yeah, you know, honestly, 
not really coming to my head right now unless you want to say Eli Manning in spurts, which is why I compared Dak to him. Yeah, I mean, Dak Prescott had a really good season. And a player that you and I liked a lot more a year ago, Baker Mayfield, uh, he, he had a much better season than Baker Mayfield, obviously, and most of the NFL did. So, uh, he's yeah, he's, he's a good quarterback, but he, uh, he just doesn't do a whole lot for me when you're talking about the elite type guys and players that I'm just I look at and I think yeah that's that's a player that I'd love to have quarterback in my team would you uh, take I mean, I'm a Bears fan Mitchell Trubisky is terrible but I don't want Dak Prescott either because I don't think he's going to get get them really anywhere either granted he would have probably gotten the Bears a lot further this season because the Bears still had a good defense so I'll give him that but I'm just not that excited about him as a player moving forward Prescott take your pick. what are you going to ask who, who would you rather have Dak Prescott or Spencer Rattler? How about that for a segue? Oh, as in next season? <laughs> Can I have quarterbacking, Dak Prescott on quarterbacking Oklahoma? Oklahoma in 2020? I think I'd rather have Dak. But I think I'd rather have Dak too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's a heck of a heck of a segue there. That's a that's a professional transition, but not really because that's a ridiculous scenario, which that's fine with. Uh, let's talk about that. So We've talked a lot about Spencer Rattler and Tanner Mordecai on this podcast, here and out, uh, back and forth, things like that. Uh, everyone and their, and their mom expects it to be Spencer Rattler. I mean, it's got to be Spencer Rattler. He's going to be the starting quarterback. Jason Kersey, to his credit, a couple weeks ago reported that Tanner Mordecai is planning to stay at Oklahoma through the spring and everything and compete for that starting quarterback job along with Spencer Rattler. So uh, Mordecai and, and Rattler are going to be there. So... It seems like, Grant, we're gearing up for yet another quarterback competition, and I just don't know how Lincoln Riley is going to go about making us really believe that this is a, is a thing this season. I, I, I don't really know if want to start think, there, but uh, we can talk about both quarterbacks if you want. No, I mean, I was going to say, I, I, I think it would be smart um, you know, from a team perspective, if you really want to, you know, build towards 2020 and try to put your best product on the field, I think it would be wise to name a starter after spring. Um, having that been said, I don't think Lincoln Riley is going to do that. And I, I think he's probably going to, he's going to wait it out because he needs Tanner Mordecai to stick around to be the backup. I think it's going to be, I think we're going to see the exact same thing that we've seen the last couple, couple summer. or yeah, I mean the, the, the last couple summers, I think we're going to see the exact same thing. Well, I mean, the odds are that we probably will, considering that's what he's done. So, I mean, I think you would it would be a kind of leap of faith right now, or you just kind of know Lincoln Riley's his headspace right now if you're going to predict that it's going to be something different uh, at the moment. I think it's important right now, you know, January, as we record this, January 16th, to kind of detail why I think you and I and a lot of other people believe that Rattler starting is going to be a, a slam dunk and beating out Mordecai, just aside from... The simple fact that Tanner Mordecai was so highly recruited. I'm sorry, Spencer Rattler was so highly recruited by mistake. Uh, and Tanner Mordecai was a, a four-star player as well, so it's not like he's chopped liver. But, uh, you know, beside Rattler being the top quarterback in his class, you know, why do we think he's going to be the guy? And so I went back and I watched both players in that South Dakota game, and that was the second game of the season, and both of them got a, a good amount of run in that game in garbage time. And honestly... I thought both players looked really good in that game, and I thought I'd go back and watch, and I'd, I'd come away thinking that Spencer Rattler was massively better and outplayed Mordecai in that contest, but 
from what I saw, each player was really good in garbage time uh, against an FCS team, which we both you know, we have to make that clear. So in that game, I saw both players. They looked decisive. They were accurate with the football, also accurate with football down the field, which is also very important. Rattler was four of four for 50 yards and a touchdown in the game. Mordecai had some more playing time. He was six of eight for 114 yards and two touchdowns. And so I don't know how much you remember from that game, Grant, that South Dakota game. I actually went back and watched a couple of the plays from I'm assuming you did not before this oh, podcast, no. but I, I don't remember much. <laughs> like, why from would it. you? I, no, I don't remember. Luckily, much. I have a couple. You know, I have those plays saved readily available for me at work here at, at News 9. So I was able to pull them up and and watch them. And so, yeah, I thought they both were really good in that game. And so, you know, since they were both basically neck and neck against South Dakota, I think you kind of just throw that one out there and you got to look at some of the other games and moments to compare the two. And look at it this way. Spencer Rattler, we know he has not played a spring game. Tanner Mordecai has. And in Tanner Mordecai's one spring game when he started, he wasn't very good. I mean, Jalen Hurts in that game looked much more comfortable in Oklahoma's offense, and he'd only been on campus for four months. Granted, I know he's a veteran player, but as far as the way each guy looked in the offense, Hurts looked like it was so much more smooth. Uh, I thought the teams were pretty even. It's not like Hurts had better players, really. I mean, it was they, I think they mixed the teams up pretty well. Uh, and then you go to the regular season, and as we all know, Tanner Mordecai had many more chances in mop-up duty than Spencer Rattler. And I think you'd agree with me on this one, Grant. Mordecai just, he never jumped off the screen or off the field, off the tape in those, op in those opportunities. It looked to me similar to how he played in the spring game. Is that how you remember Tanner Mordecai this year? Yeah, he always looks jumpy. He just never looks quite comfortable back there. Um, also, he's got like, He's got a bit of a hitch in his delivery that bugs me when I watch him. I mean, that's that's nitpicky, but um, I mean, not not that I know like anything about quarterback fundamentals. It's just a it's just a weird tick that I that I notice for some reason. Um, hmm. No, yeah, he just he he just never feels that comfortable back there. It it seems like so. Um, I don't know. I, I I'm more just like I. What I thought was interesting, and I don't even know if we brought this up yet, was of course at the end of the game when uh, of the Peach Bowl when, when Jalen Hurts went out, they I mean Spencer Rattler came in and, and not Tanner Mordecai, um, mm -hmm. and uh, there's already been you know a lot a lot of talk about it already, but we haven't been on the record of what we thought about that. But it, I mean, do you agree with kind of the general consensus there that that is that that's basically a, a about as much of a tell as as Lincoln Riley is going to get that yeah I mean Spencer Rattler is my guy. Tanner Mordecai is the backup all season long, and just in that moment, he put Spencer Rattler in. Why? Yeah, I don't know why else he would. And forgive me if I butcher this or if, if I don't uh, get it 100% right, but I believe he was asked about that after the game. I don't know if you remember reading about this. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and he, he, he said something along the lines of, yeah, what was it? He, he said that if, if Oklahoma would have gotten that third down and gotten a first down, that he was going to bring Mordecai into the game in the middle of the drive. Yep. Yeah, sure, man. It's just like, what? I, I just... That's hard to believe. So, uh, I mean, you know, the, all the, the talk after that was obviously, oh, there goes Tanner Mordecai into the transfer portal and hasn't been the case. Again, uh, Kersey, I mean, he reported a couple weeks ago that Mordecai's going to stay. And so, I just real quick, back to both players. I think I think you'd agree with me on this, too. I think both players have strong arms. I, I think they both are actually pretty accurate for the most part. I think uh, Brattler's more accurate. 
but it's not like I don't I don't think Mordecai is just throwing the ball everywhere and he's like a 55 percent completion guy I think I think being put in if he was given more time I think he'd be okay I think he's a, a definitely a more accurate than not and I think they're both pretty mobile yeah Mordecai's got but, Mordecai has a borderline cannon I mean he he he's, mm-hmm. he really puts a lot of zip on the ball See, but here's the thing. You take into account this, that Mordecai has been in the system longer. He's been on campus longer, and yet he still looked the way he looked. He looked uncomfortable in the spring game, and, and you mentioned he kind of looks jumpy. He looked somewhat uncomfortable in a lot of his action this past year. And then you kind of think about Spencer Rattler against South Dakota, which I know both played well, but a couple other times you've seen him. I think I believe, uh, he came in, I think, maybe against Texas Tech. Uh, potentially, uh, I, I had his game log up a little bit ago. I, I could be wrong, but obviously he came in against LSU. I think he played in maybe only three games this year, Rattler. And just he he looks to have a, a swagger about him, which is not surprising considering his, his background and his success in high school. And he just kind of displays that five-star talent. And, and it's just it's difficult also, to imagine that he, that also, he wouldn't have shined if he would have been the guy in garbage time this year as opposed to Mordecai. He also, a thing that really surprised me when I watched him this year too, and I'm, I'm talking about Rattler here, was he's a, he, he's a much better athlete uh, than, than you would think. I mean, the, just the way he moves, he, he, he's, just, he's quick. And the way he moves in the pocket, you, you can just kind of see the athleticism uh, coming off of him. And I, I think that matters. I, I think it really does. So, um, oh, after watching the playoff, I mean, it absolutely matters. I mean, Jalen Hurts was the least athletic and least mobile of the four quarterbacks. In the playoff, I mean, Jalen looked. Yeah, I think that's. I think that's downright slow. I mean, Justin Fields is is incredible. I think. Grant, I know his knee or one of his legs is kind of banged up because he got, he was hurt kind of late in the year. So but he was. Yeah, he was an awesome mobile. runner this year. But yeah, fantastic runner. And then I think Trevor Lawrence is a really good runner as well. We saw that against Ohio State. And Trevor um, Lawrence is obviously like a- Joe Burrow is just incredibly. For you look at Burrow, he's incredibly athletic and pretty fast for his frame. And somebody somebody compared his uh, his ability in the pocket to to Tom Brady, and I'm I'm kind of, and I'm I I see it I I really do I see it too yeah but like he's but Joe Brady or uh, Joe Brady uh, Joe Burrow I I think I think is objectively a better athlete than Tom Brady. Uh yeah absolutely, I mean Joe Burrow's gonna probably run a better forty time than Brady did when he was at the at the combine I guess but Burrow probably won't even run why would he. He doesn't need to. Unless he just wants to show off. I don't know. Yeah. I bet he runs uh, a pretty decent 40. I mean, I think Brady, his athleticism improved as his NFL career went on. I no, mean, that's he, not, it's not a knock on Brady. I mean, Brady is like, is, is the best I've like pretty much ever seen in the pocket. Him and Manning were the two best I've ever seen. Yeah. No, they're great. They're and great. And I, I just like, I, I don't, and who knows how it's going to translate to the NFL but the way that that Joe Burrow was able to maneuver the pocket in college, it it looked like like Peyton Manning and, and Tom Brady at the heights of their career. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean he's better he's better in the pocket maneuvering it than than Baker was. And Baker uh, he's, was he's, great at it. Great. Yeah, in Baker was really good at it. And I think again, not to, I know this doesn't matter that much, but I do think it it helps. It definitely helps Burrow. When you're comparing him to a guy like Baker and maybe in a guy like Kyler, it does help that Burrow is like four inches taller than those guys. I think I really do think that helps. Uh, I, don't, I don't know Definitely how it doesn't hurt. It's, yeah, I was, but uh, again, I mean, you can obviously function when you're not that tall. It's just I think it's just another thing about Burrow that makes him so um, 
so fun to watch and, and just it's so intriguing and, and so crazy that he was able to make that kind of a jump in less than a year. Uh, the, the close the book on this discussion about Mordecai and Rattler, I just want to bring up something that I, I think is important when it comes to playing quarterback. And I, Tanner Mordecai has had few media availabilities. I remember he he had talked uh, when Jalen Hurts talked very early in the spring, and uh, you know he talked before fall camp began. And he's just he's very short. He's not doesn't seem to be very vocal at all. I, I'm just. I'm not so sure how much confidence the guy has. You know, maybe he's just not a talker. But I mean, you gotta kind of be a talker. You gotta be able to communicate and and have a little bit of swagger and and be able to to get after it with your teammates. And I just maybe he does it in practice. We don't see it. I don't know. But uh, I just think that's I think that's important. I'm not so sure if that if that's kind of the way Mordecai's personality really is. He kind of maybe it's similar to a guy like Marcus Mariota, who has famously just been very quiet and reserved and won the Heisman Trophy and has played in the NFL, but maybe he just is, is is limited you know he's i don't know if it's because he doesn't put himself out there as much or his personality is too calm and cool which maybe that's standard mordecai he's just so laid back and calm and cool i don't know but that's something that kind of concerns me about him and and i don't see that really with spencer rattler granted maybe i will when we get to talk to him more i don't know uh, i haven't seen much of spencer rattler but uh another thing too and and Again, back to Kersey's report that he's going to stick around and he's going to compete for that start, starting job with Spencer Rattler, Tanner Mordecai is. And I think on one hand, that's admirable because he, he believes in himself. So maybe it totally goes against what I just said about I'm not sure how much confidence he has. But I'll be honest, man. On the other hand, it, it, to me, it's almost like an admission that I just – I, I don't know. I Does he – he's got to think he's going to win the job, right? I mean, if not – and you want to play college football and you want to actually play snaps, he's got to get out of Oklahoma, does he not? I, I mean, Yeah, but at the same time, it kind of he, he's at a point right now where it's sort of just, it just makes sense for him to stay. Because I, I guess I don't know I where get, he is academically, but if he gets through this season, he may just be able to grad transfer and have two years. And then maybe then, then you have to play. Yeah, sure, that's true. Because, that's I mean, I if he transfers now, he's going to have to sit out this season anyway. Yeah, because so, oh yeah, he played he played enough games last year. He, he didn't redshirt. Yeah. Well, no, he's got to. I mean, you have to unless you're a grad transfer, you have to sit out a season anyway. Oh wait, he, he already redshirted so, though, anyways. Yeah, so it has nothing to do with the so, redshirt yeah. or anything. So I mean, it just that's right. That's right. Yeah, my, my bad. Yeah. And I, I suppose he, you you could say though, if you do want to transfer, you can get a leg up. You know, sitting a season, learning the the new system. Um, yeah. but I don't know. Tanner Mordecai to me really does just kind of feel like some guy who grad transfers to like. SMU or North Texas and throws for 4,000 yards <laughs> like right I mean that that kind of I, I feel like that's going to be in his future yeah I mean uh, I don't know about that exactly but uh sure yeah it's I think he could start for a lot of I mean he could probably start for some big 12 teams and like some other like ACC teams sure but I mean uh it's just he's at Oklahoma and it's just really difficult with the guys he has in front of him and just the one last kind of thing that it's like yeah I can't imagine anybody but Rattler winning this job after, again, what Lincoln Riley saw from Jalen Hurts and just his limitations as a passer this year. I, it's, it's difficult to believe Riley saying or being OK with going to to Mordecai unless for some reason he just blows Rattler out of the water. But I think Mordecai's shown enough. He had enough chances this past season and he didn't really take advantage of. He didn't really leap, leap off the page. He didn't. He didn't really shine that 
I think Riley's going to go into this competition, quote unquote competition, not taking Tanner Mordecai all that seriously, and that's just my opinion. So, all right, I think man, that was a lot more on that on that uh, topic that I thought we'd do. So, uh, do you want to just comment on Brock Vandegrift? I know that happened a couple weeks ago. I'm actually surprised you put this in the rundown. Well, I know it was a big deal, and a lot of we've been getting notes about how we need to talk more about recruiting. We're not going to talk any more about recruiting than we normally do. I'm, I'm sorry, just that's just not our thing. But uh, there was some talk about you know him decommitting. Oh no, is this a sign that Lincoln Riley's going to going to leave Oklahoma? Uh, which ended up being uh, short sighted oh, yeah, uh, at, at that best. Was, that was silly. <laughs> uh, but his reasoning was that he wants to be closer to home. That's what he said. That's what he said in his tweet. And it comes out, I guess, uh, he tweeted out this week that he's going to go visit Georgia, which Georgia is right in his backyard. So, you know what? More power to him if he doesn't go that makes, far away from home. All right. It makes total sense for him. Jake Fromm just declared for the draft. Georgia got uh, got Jamie Newman, the grad transfer. So Brock Vandegrift oh, is going to be able to come in as a true freshman and compete right away for the starting job at Georgia. That's almost certainly where he's going to go. And that's fine. And you know what? I, I just... I don't want to say that I don't care about his decommitment, but it's just I, I. It was so far into the future, and I know this is the next recruiting class already, but, you know, I, I think OU is going to be fine at quarterback. Yeah, I I feel the same way, and we had maybe I, I should maybe I shouldn't say we, I had some, some skepticism anyways based on the high school football he plays. Not an expert on it, but. A very low-level private high school football in Georgia. I'm sure he's really good. So you know, what do I know? But uh, and I, I guess know we'll, we'll find out. We'll see. And I know OU is like heavily in on who whoever the other top quarterback is in the country. Like, and I think I think there's maybe some signs there that OU might prefer him anyway. Hmm. So interesting. You know, you never know what could shake what could shake out. And uh, one more thing in the rundown, I have Chandler Morris. So he is signed with Oklahoma, and he'll be here this year. And that's just depth, I suppose. I mean, we'll see if he can factor into a competition. But uh, undersized guy, saw him playing that all-star game he, where he committed, or I guess I guess he had already signed, but then he didn't want to announce it until then. He looked like he had a little bit of mobility, uh, decent arm, good arm. Uh, I know he's uh, Chad Morris's kid. Doesn't mean a whole lot, but uh, anyways, I think he's a three-star for rivals. That might be a four-star for two-four-seven, uh, maybe. I think he's like I, a I he's know, a four-star uh, composite, like for for twenty-four-seven. Oh, okay. And I think I think rivals is the only one that has him as a three-star. So yeah, good on him. Uh, hopefully, he ends up being a, a good player at Oklahoma, and it's good to have good quarterback depth. You're going to learn a lot under Lincoln Riley, no doubt about it. All right, so what's next? Uh, you put this next part in the rundown, so I'll let you kind of throw this next topic out there. All right, well, we got uh, we have some attrition. Um, let's see here: Levi Draper and Ryan Jones are in the are in the transfer portal, and there's been others too that I don't know if we've uh, I've even mentioned here. There's been a lot actually in the last week or so, relatively speaking. Uh, but Levi Draper and Ryan Jones, I think, are probably the two biggest names. Um, and I don't know if you if we want to go into this now, but th- this is why I put this here. Um, Lee, that 2017 uh, defensive recruiting class has been a disaster. Uh, just, just way too much attrition. And I know Kenneth Murray was part of that that class, and he could be a first round pick. Um, 
But man, there's a lot of just downright busts in there. Yeah, and so we're at the point where we can actually assess a recruiting class like this. And this was the first class, I suppose, that but when this podcast began, obviously these guys signed uh, spring of 2017 and our podcast began in August of 2017. And so this is kind of the first class since this podcast has been going on that we can kind of go back and look and, and see how it, how it how it's fared. And let's just go through some of the names. And I know you did this off the air, but I got the list right here. And you got Addison Gums. He's transferred. Levi Draper. He redshirted. He had three tackles this past year. He's in the transfer portal. Tyree Slot. He left the team in April of last year, I believe. I'm not sure if he transferred or not, but uh, a non-factor. Zacchaeus McKinney. He redshirted and has did not play, and I'm not sure his status is, but he's been a non-factor. He is. Troy, uh, he 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 may be someone who who we see in the portal here pretty soon. I would guess. You got Troy James. He is in the transfer portal reportedly. You got Jakari Daly. He's already transferred, or he was in the portal. He's gone. You have then uh, Isaiah Thomas, who had a bit of a role kind of late in the season for Oklahoma, so he could be a role player moving forward. But so I don't think anybody. Totally I don't think anybody ever expects him to be anything more than just depth, though. Mm-hmm. And you go outside the defensive line. You have. Ryan Jones, who is now the transfer portal, who he saw a lot of snaps in 2018 on the defensive side. By the way, he was recruited as a wide receiver, moving over to defense. You have Robert Barnes, who also saw a decent amount of snaps before this past season. He's not playing right now. You have Justin Broyles, who has underachieved, to put it lightly. We'll put it that way. And then you get to the players who actually have played or has done something and obviously you have Kenneth Murray who is uh, the between him and Trey Brown I'd say are the two that have panned out the best definitely more so Kenneth Murray based on the 2019 season and Trey Brown had had a good year too Trey Norwood too bad he didn't play this past year so the jury's still out on him I like Trey Norwood I, I like him more than you do and then finally Dylan Famatahu who was a pretty good role player in 2019 and a serviceable depth guy previous to that a lot of names i just went through there but yeah i think you're right uh what was this class ranked I, you mentioned this off the air it's the number seven class in the country and uh th- i mean if Man. this is a class a defensive class that pans out y- you want you know a, a decent chunk of of your defense that that's starting in the peach bowl to be these guys to be these four, you know, to be these four and five star guys that panned out, and just none of them did. None of them did. Only guys starting in the Peach Bowl were Trey Brown and Kenneth Murray. And Kenneth Murray was a three star guy. I mean, he was not incredibly highly recruited. Uh, Trey Brown was a four star guy. I think a top a top two fifty guy. Uh, but I mean, that's it. I mean, that's there's a lot of busts in that class. A lot. And Man, you can't, pouring out for Robert Barnes in my starting nickel prediction. Pouring out on there. I couldn't have been more wrong. We'll Jeez, see what happens man. with him. Yeah. I mean, who knows what's going to happen with him? Like, I, it's, uh, it's tough. And, and I think, and, and we're going to, we might kind of get more philosophically into this as we move on to like the next, uh, um, the, the next topic. But it's, it's just tough. You, you gotta, you gotta have a lot of good players to win a championship. I think that's becoming very <laughs> obvious. You get, you gotta have, you gotta have really, really good players at every position. 
and you just you you can't have a a, a class like 2017, the defensive class. Um, if you go through the offensive side, though, it's it's a monster class, an amazing class. <laughs> but uh, defense, just it's a, a total bust, total bust of a class. The 2017 offensive class, we'll just go through the names quickly. Adrian Ely, Marquise Brown, Kennedy Brooks, Creed Humphrey, C.D. Lamb, Marquise Hayes, Jeremiah Hall, Trey Sermon, Grant Calcaterra, Charleston Rambo, Marcellus Sutton. I mean, there's Tyrese Robinson. And sorry, I, I know it sounded like I was done, but I wasn't. Oh, uh, and also Chris Robison, who ended up obviously transferring. There's uh Oh boy. There's six, seven <laughs> NFL players in there. That's a I mean, you That's know there's great. gonna be there's, That's a great there's two there's two first round receivers. One of them's already official with Marquise. Uh, CD, it'd be shocking if he's not a first-round receiver. Yeah, uh, I mean, obviously, too bad Grant Calcaterra is obviously, he's hung it up. He's not going to play anymore, but uh, he'd uh, been a potential first or second-round p- player if he decided to keep playing football. So, yeah, no need to go through it all. But, uh, yeah, those are some big-time names for sure in the offensive side. And then, yeah, the next segment that you kind of teased a moment ago, the question, the prompt, if you will, that will – push us forward for the the next however many it's going to be is is you know after watching the playoff Oklahoma losing yet again in the playoff where does this Oklahoma team where does this program mostly need to improve to catch up to those elite of elite college football teams and let's see I got a, a few notes on this you might have more than me so I'll let you go ahead and and start us off and then we'll kind of get it rolling there was what do you think what jumps out of you where does Oklahoma mostly need to improve I mean it crystallized in my mind as I was watching the Peach Bowl and it's recruiting they got to get better players in there across the board across the board and this is actually especially on defense um they're they're they don't really have any equals right now in, in, in terms of recruiting on offense. They do. I mean, Alabama and those teams, uh, they're, they're recruiting right up there at the top with everyone on the offensive side of the ball. Uh, on defense, they're, they're way behind on defense. I, I mean, shockingly behind. And um, it's even with this most recent recruiting class, I, I, think, I think you've seen some things with some of the guys are bringing, improving in the secondary uh, some bigger guys, some longer, some taller guys, more size in the secondary. Um, but man, I'm concerned with defensive line recruiting. Um, we just we we just went through all of the defensive line busts in, in the 2017 class. Um, if you weren't following, it was all of them. Not a single defensive <laughs> it was lineman. All of them <laughs> in, in the 2017 class has panned out. Um, and then you go now to this uh, this most recent class, this 2020 class, and. They're having to go after JUCO defensive linemen, and I know guys are. I know people are excited about those guys. They're they're the they're the the, the top two defensive linemen in the junior college ranks. But man, when you're having to go after JUCO guys, something went wrong along the way. Um, yeah. and, and they just got to get better. Period. There, um, and they need to do whatever they possibly can to do that. Whether or not that's that staff changes, uh, whether or not it, what it's it's any type of change. They they need to get on that level. Otherwise, they're not going to be able to compete. Um, and I think um, they're they're making good progress. I think it, it with in terms of the body types of, like I said, the defensive backs they're bringing in. But still, man, all those LSU guys, and you know, you can complain about stars and whatnot all you want, but all those LSU guys were 
were were very highly, heavily recruited guys, five star guys, all of them in the secondary. Um, just it 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 matters. It really, really matters. And OU needs more needs more dudes. They they just those SEC teams and Clemson and Ohio State have significantly more dudes than OU does, and they need more. Yeah, that's you're right. I weirdly enough though in the Peach Bowl just. Watching it, I don't think the defensive line. I still think the defensive line for Oklahoma this past season was pretty darn good. This season it was good. It was good. It's just, but there's not. I mean, what do they got left, man? I mean, I know they got Ronnie Perkins sure, back, but sure. he's, you know he's going to miss five games at the beginning of this season. Um, and I got Jalen Redman, which we were all excited about. But I mean, are we really expecting Perry miss- and Winfrey and, and Josh Adams to come in and I, I mean be just like great right from the start to replace Neville Gallimore's production? No way. No, I yeah I mean that. F- first of all, I, is that for sure that there's going to be a, a long suspension that there's going to be like five games? Like I I've heard that, but I mean nobody's confirmed that. It hasn't been confirmed, but I, it's it's expected because oh, it was okay. expected that they got busted by the NCAA and the the punishment is a six game suspension. So oh, oh wow okay uh, yeah yeah I, no you're right about the defensive line I mean that that's why they brought in these JUCO guys and because they're they're having some trouble there but I, you know watching these playoff games it's just not surprisingly I Oklahoma still needs better defensive backs I, particularly at safety I mean there's no doubt about that I mean how many times are going to hear Alex Grinch just just lament the safety and just real secondary depth uh, and then you got to have more more than one impact linebacker that also help I mean you got Kenneth Murray and you know no offense to Sean White but it's just he uh, he's fine but uh, he's got to get better he's got to improve and it's just you watch these other defenses and they just have players at the second and third levels just flying around uh, with reckless abandonment and making it difficult on opposing teams and you don't see a whole lot of that with Oklahoma and so in, in addition to to players my other note too is something I complained about on the last podcast when it comes to the defensive side of the ball, and it's to do with with Alex Grinch's philosophy. You know, even though we only have one year of Grinch so far, uh, and he's still trying to implement his scheme and, and get it installed perfectly, I think something that he needs to be more open about is adjusting and throwing different things at opposing offenses in big t- you know, big games like that, must-win type game. I mean, they're all must-win. I'm games. starting to come around to the idea that I, 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 we don't know if if we don't know if he is against that at all. Like, I, I just, I don't think OU's got good enough players right now. And to, that was to my do next stuff thing. Like that. that was my next point. Is you know, maybe once everybody in the program is fully comfortable in the scheme, or or and or you know, he has players that he actually does trust within the scheme. You know, maybe then he'll feel like he'll have more freedom to be a little more creative because everyone's got the the basics down but it's pretty clear that Oklahoma's base defense was just way too easy for LSU's offense to discern and figure out in that game and I'm not crazy I remember hearing stuff I watched the tape I went back I found a quote from Justin Jefferson after that game that I hadn't seen, but uh, I was just kind of doing some research on, and maybe you'd seen this quote or heard this quote, but I hadn't until today. So this is Justin Jefferson after the game, quote, Oklahoma's been doing exactly what we watched on film. A lot of teams switch it up on game day, but Oklahoma stayed the same. And that confirms exactly what I was telling you guys last podcast. Oklahoma, everything we saw on tape 
defensively, that's what they did against LSU. And LSU saw it on tape and was like, all right, well, this is probably what they're going to do. And it was what Oklahoma did. And so it was pitch and catch and easy for Joe Burrow and, and, and Joe Brady to figure that out and Steve Insminger. And mixed with the fact that Oklahoma was shorthanded and is not as talented, I mean, that was, that was easy for LSU's offense. So year two of Alex Grinch in the defense and see what it looks like will certainly be interesting. That that's for sure. You know, is that just what he does or is a lot of it because he didn't have the guys and he just didn't trust enough people this year? I don't know. Yeah, I think um I mean, man, those those, those first handful of games on the defensive line, I mean, without Ronnie Perkins, that's gonna be really interesting to see what they do there. Uh, cause I mean, really it's I mean, Jalen Redmond is really your, your elder statesman there. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's, that's a guy who didn't, I mean, how many games did he start this year? Like three, maybe that's kind of a scary thought. I'm not so sure, but I mean, he played a lot of snaps and hopefully he's okay. Health wise. He made it through this whole year. He was fine. Hopefully in the off season, he doesn't have any setbacks and he's passed it. And, uh, he will be an incredibly important part to that, that front that front uh, yeah. that hey, Alex front no doubt week, about it week two they're facing a, a Tennessee offensive line that is getting um that that one guy back who was having the um the oh uh, wow the blood clot problem yeah I wonder what his status is I haven't and, looked at it since the summer and they also got the uh they got the the transfer from Georgia Cade Mays who people think might be um immediately eligible and he was like a five-star guy so hey they might hmm. be they might be facing a formidable offensive line in week two without I mean, with no Ronnie Perkins and obviously no Neville Gallimore, it's going to be interesting. Hmm. All right, well, you want to talk about who all is coming back in 2020 and just kind of our thoughts ahead to next year? I, I mean, there's a lot of returners. Let's, let's, let's be real. It's just the question is, I mean, on offense, everything looks fine. It's just defensively, there's a, a ton of question marks talent-wise. I mean, I got a list here of, of all the guys that are coming back, I mean, maybe you do too. No, I'm I don't, a, I don't have a do list. This. I was more just, I more just wanted to talk about what do we? I mean, how are we feeling? Like, what's your first uh, the 2020 OU Sooners? I mean, how do how, you think they're going to be good? What, what do you think? Um, my first thought is when we get to the big season preview podcast next August, I. It might be the first time I don't predict Oklahoma to make the playoff since we've been doing the podcast. That's how kind of down I am right now on Oklahoma. And you got to factor in as well how bad they looked on the national stage in the playoff once again. Oklahoma's going to have to be just killing people or else everybody else around the nation, I think, is going to look for reasons to keep Oklahoma out of the playoff in 2020 after the way things went down in 2019. So I don't know. I think the offense is going to be good. Defensively, I have no idea what to expect. I don't know. What do you think? Well, my my first thought is I, I think um, you know everything's got to end eventually. My my first thought is is I think you know this is probably maybe the team to to end the Big Twelve championship streak. But I also think that they have a they probably have a really high ceiling though too, and it all it all depends on Spencer Rattler. Um. If Spencer Rattler comes in and is is really good right off the bat, then I I mean they're the obvious Big Twelve favorites. Um, in terms of being nationally relevant, I think a lot of stuff has to happen for that. 
One, I, one of the things that I think has to happen, I think Stacy Wilkins needs to emerge at left tackle. Uh, you can't be running Eric Swinson out there, I don't think, uh, uh, against elite teams on a consistent basis. Um, guys like guys like Tyrese Robinson and Adrian Ely are really going to have to take a step forward on the offensive line as well, which is possible. There's absolutely precedent for that on on Bill Biedenboe's offensive line. Um, I don't know, not not a whole lot of depth at receiver, but there's a lot of talent. Um, Theo Howard being there is obviously going to help. I'm curious to see what. Uh, um, kind of how he looks he's a guy who's got you know in a plan in an offense that I think he had Josh Rosen throwing to him his freshman season but um put up some pretty decent numbers at at uh, at UCLA and put up some you know made some pretty decent plays against OU too a couple years ago so um yeah I, I I think their offense has a really high ceiling really high ceiling um it's all going to depend on 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 how how efficient Spencer Rattler is, I think, um, and then the defense. Honestly, I, I don't know. I, I I think the defense might uh, might have some more growing pains next season because they're not yeah, going to be able to rely on the defensive line like they did this year. At least not in the first half. They're not. Yeah, that's the tough thing. Defensive line. The main names we talked about: Redmond, also Laron Stokes. He's still there. So that's good. At least he got some experience this year and a Big 12 newcomer. Marcus Stripling, very limited time this year. And then Isaiah Thomas is the only other guy kind of highlighted as players that have had some sort of role on the defensive line. And, you know, hey, maybe maybe Redmond and Stripling just make massive jumps. You know, maybe. Maybe, I mean, maybe Perry and Winfrey a nice is... body type. I mean, obviously, and then you throw in Perkins, too. I totally forgot about Perkins, but, yeah, he, allegedly he might – might miss some time so uh, but yeah I mean Stripling's got the same kind of body type as a Ronnie Perkins you know offseason will be huge for him maybe we'll I see mean, yeah and who, I mean yeah and so and, and I never I never count on freshmen coming in and, and playing right away either so I, I mean that's that's not something that I'm anticipating at all um but you never linebackers, know linebackers you know Deshaun White's obviously back you have Caleb Kelly uh, returning, we'll see where he fits in. I mean, Nick Benito, David Oguebu at the rush linebacker spot. I mean, those are guys that emerge. Yeah, those are guys. I like the. I like them. Yeah, I think. I think those I like are guys too. who can be who can be really good next year. Um, I don't know. I I think we definitely want to keep an eye on do does does Woody Washington and Jeremiah Cradell make any sort of second year jump? You're definitely hoping that they do. Um, Do we figure out why Jaden Davis didn't play much in the Peach Bowl, and, and hopefully is he still good? Yeah, <laughs> I mean they too. need to replace Parnell Motley. You know Trey Brown's still there, so that's good. Does does is, is does Trey Norwood come back healthy and, and look? Trey good? Norwood, yeah. Um, I mean he's a guy definitely. I much rather would have had him out there uh, than Justin Broyles. Clearly in the Peach Bowl, I think they still would have lost, obviously, but it probably wouldn't have been as ugly. Um, I mean, Trey Norwood would have been starting all season long. Yeah, I, mean, I know, I know. But yeah, no, you're right. I mean, who knows? I mean, it, wasn't the reports that Norwood was playing nickel as well? So I mean, yeah. I wonder if yeah. Brendan Radley-Hiles would have been one of those like sixth or seventh defensive backs not even playing that much this past year if Norwood would have stayed healthy. I don't know. We'll never know. Yeah, Buki actually had a had a pretty good year. but Yeah, he had, he, had a, he had a fine year. It's just I have a difficult time getting past some of the boneheaded decisions and I have no inside info. I don't have Alex Grinch's phone number, but uh, I just have a, 
I just really think, I mean, if I was a coach, I, I would really be hoping that somebody would come in and, and, and take his spot. I, I just have a tough time trusting him right now. He's got to earn it back. He's got to earn it back on the field. And his, he always does and says the right things off the field. Uh, but just that play, I can't get out of my head for that Peach Bowl. It was so dumb. But uh, we'll see. We'll see if he can, can but mature yeah, I mean, it's, between, uh, it's, uh, his it's, second year and his third year. But yeah, another reason why I think maybe next year is is a year they have some growing pains is because I, the schedule is front loaded and kind of brutal, especially in October. Um, hmm. I think in succession in the Big Twelve, they play Baylor, Texas. Um, I want to say Oklahoma State's in there, and then uh, someone else is in there all in succession. Iowa State. Iowa State. Got, yeah. It goes Tennessee. They get a bye. Then they got that game at Army, which will be unique. But yeah, after that, they got Baylor, Texas, Iowa State, OSU, then TCU. Yeah, that's, that's tough. That's a tough stretch. That is tough. And uh, what? So, and they have to go to Iowa State. They'll be at home for Oklahoma State. Yeah. So, and a lot of that's at, at home. I mean, they're at home versus Baylor. At home versus Baylor and Oklahoma State. That's tough. Yeah. So right. I mean that's that's tough stretch. Um geez, hmm. man. I mean that's that's gonna be tough. But hey, you never you never know. Maybe maybe Spencer Rattler comes out and he is just com- just totally the real deal. But I just I, I really have a hard time thinking that he's not gonna have some growing pains. I mean he's got to, right? Oh, absolutely. Even though absolutely. hey I Tua was a red come eat. He won won the national championship for him in the last game his his freshman season true freshman year, and he came out his red for, his his red shirt freshman season and was was great was awesome yeah almost I, won the Heisman Trophy until he was terrible in the SEC title game. <laughs> so I mean that I mean that could happen, could incredibly doubtful but it could. I think the best way to end this topic on a positive note is reminding everyone that also returning in 2020 is Gabe Burkich. Mr. Automatic, he'll be back. If Oklahoma is is actually is like ever really good, he, we sh- we shouldn't care. He, sh- he shouldn't matter. He shouldn't be a big part of the team. <laughs> All right, we have a grab bag bit of topics here at the bottom of the rundown. Grant, uh, which ones stand out to you the most? Um, I don't have any more thoughts on the national championship game, with the exception of the LSU stuff I talked about in the opening take about Joe Brady being gone now to I guess that came out as we were recording the last podcast you I think you texted me that yeah yeah it happened right then and there so that's uh that's good great get him out of college football <laughs> He's, and also I read I read an athletic article as well too and it all but like it, it basically like uh from how I read it it seemed like there was no way he was staying in college it's that like uh he and it, it made it sound like it's just it recruiting is just like a no-go for him just he he will not recruit is basically oh, okay. kind of what it sounds like yeah like the I, I like the direct quotes in the in the article were along the lines of like yeah i mean he'll he does scouting and he does our recruiting boards for us but he really doesn't like the the communication and like the teenager antics <laughs> and i'm just oh, like man. wow i'm joe brady yeah <laughs> is it i am also joe brady but with a, a like I'm trying to think of like the right number, <laughs> like zero point 
2% of the football acumen, maybe. <laughs> yeah. But now, hey, but now uh, he, good for him. Yeah, but him joining Rule in Carolina sets up a really interesting subplot for next year's you know NFL season. So I appreciate him for that. Yeah, no, that's good stuff. Uh, yeah, I mean, Carolina Panthers fans, like I said in the opening take, that's got to be pretty exciting. You have two coaches that are at the top of their games, it, it would seem almost. Or, I mean, obviously Rule's not like a national championship coach or anything like that, but the, what he's done at Baylor, and he's incredibly well regarded. And then obviously you got Brady, who just is basically the reason why LSU was able to win a national title this year. How about this? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to paint this picture for you. So obviously Cam Newton's future in Carolina is, is very much you know up to question. Let's say Cam Newton gets totally healthy in the offseason. Carolina decides, you know, hey, we're, we're going to bring him back for one more year. This is Cam Newton. He's been, he's been the most famous player in our franchise history. You know, let's, let's go ahead and bring him back one last season, see if, see if he can prove it. What if Joe Brady just, just turns out like the best Cam Newton season ever? Is, That's possible, man. What would, what would the hysteria be? In like in like the scramble to to hire Joe Brady in that offseason. Oh, <laughs> in the NFL. I mean, would it just be? Would it be? Would he be the most sought after coach ever? Yeah, if he turns Cam Newton, you know, back to how he was as an MVP, his MVP season, but he's completing like sixty seven percent of his passes because that's you know that's not Cam Newton. He completes like. 61 62 like in a good year right I mean I'm not even sure what his MVP year was but I think it was I think his MVP year was under 60. See I, I don't know that but I mean that's not his game but uh yeah if he's able to turn Cam Newton into some sort of because obviously he's, he's older and Cam's been injured a lot so maybe he would be more open to like, you know I'll play from the pocket a little bit more I won't scramble as much but you think about Burrow and Burrow certainly had the ability to run I mean he wasn't afraid but uh, he wanted to pick people apart from the pocket too yeah anyways uh that that's an interesting picture you paint because yeah if cam newton is back healthy and looks like he's improved after being an nfl veteran as a passer you're I'm right, just saying because be... if that happened like th- that would be the story of the year in the nfl i think <laughs> but is it That'd really is it is it that crazy though i could picture that happening i can picture it the thing is that i'm curious about with cam newton is how well will he be able to identify opposing defenses and make reads and things like that? Because I think – I don't know if that's been his thing. I, I just don't know if he's been a guy that goes through his progressions and makes reads and is able to deliver accurate balls. That's just not thought, really what Cam Newton's I thought that been. was kind of his thing. I didn't – I never thought that that was a huge blind spot of his. And the reason I bring that up is because that's why Joe Burrow was so good. With the all, You add in the fact that he was great in the pocket – it seemed like he just kind of knew what the defense, the whole point of what the defense he was seeing, like where to go with the football, what to do, as opposed to a couple of examples I gave with Jalen Hurts where we saw on film what LSU does defensively, but it seemed like Oklahoma had no interest in even trying to exploit it some of the time. I don't know, man. Whereas like, it was the opposite with Joe Brady and Joe Burrow. The last couple of years with Cam Newton, to me, it seemed just totally physical. Like he's just not accurate. He just mm-hmm. misses guys. Throwing the balls in the throwing yeah. the ball into the dirt, yeah, weirdly, and so interesting. I don't know. I still, uh, I kind of like. I know. I kind of like Cam Newton. It's fun. Like when when he's when he's having a good season, it's fun. He's an interesting guy. Well, speaking of Joe Brady going to hang out with Matt Rule, Baylor reportedly has their new coach now, Grant Dave Aranda. Man, this is interesting. Brett McMurphy had it on 
Thursday. I think uh, Bruce Feldman had it as well. He's really bad on himself. Yeah. Coming to a place where defensive coordinators die. Yeah, that's 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 fascinating, especially considering defense was majorly improved from Baylor with Phil Snow. I'm not sure where he's going to go now. But uh, I can't imagine Phil Snow will h- hang around Aranda's staff. I don't know if – is he going with Matt yeah, Rule to Carolina? Yeah, people were thinking that Phil Snow is going to be the D.C. in Carolina. Oh, see, I, that just shows I haven't read anything on that. But uh, Phil Snow, I guess – I think Phil Snow has been with Matt Rule for, like, well over a decade. For years, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, that's interesting hire. I mean, I think Dave Aranda is a really good defensive coordinator. He's a really good coach. But, yeah, you made a good point. It's going to be really 12. important to see who he who he hires as his OC. I mean, that's that's going to be a massive hire for them. Yeah. And he won't be able to get the same kind of players at Baylor that he got at LSU. So although that will be I interesting mean, as well. Although I, I just thought of this though. I mean, LSU, they they dip into like uh to East Texas all of the time. Um, I know that like LSU is heavy into Houston as well. They have a pipeline there. Oh yeah, absolutely. And that absolutely. means I mean that means Dave Aranda has been recruiting there for the last four yeah. or five years, which means he already has an end there. So that I mean that's that's kind of a sneaky little hire there by Baylor. I I, I think this is interesting. Um, I, I'm really curious to see what, what kind of success that Aranda has in the Big Twelve. I, I'm, um, this is easily a place that he could that he could run into some trouble at. I think, but. Also, we're we're gonna he's gonna test out his chops for sure. All right. Well, we teased it at the very beginning of the show. I guess you got to mention the OBJ and the handing out cash thing. Within that led to a different OBJ story <laughs> that has come out on Thursday. I mean, I don't know where we're not gonna give you anything that you haven't heard, right? I got this. No, is just it's just stupid. It's just really yeah. amusing. I think. The image, the video of OBJ taking out the wad of a hundred dollar bills and like and like actually counting out like six or seven of them and then give and then and then giving Justin Jefferson the seven hundred dollar handshake is one of the funniest images I have ever seen in sports. Really? It's almost yeah, it is huh. it's almost like it's almost too on the nose. But it's just, it's so perfect. It's so perfect. Because, like, I mean, and I don't... LSU trying to say that it was fake money at first, which... That was... And that just okay. adds to it. That just adds to it. Because people... Because i got to give credit to Brian Mueller, who I work with at News 9. He made a kind of a funny observation. Because it only makes sense that some of the richest people in the world, they also just carry around fake money with them. <laughs> That's just what they do. Like, what? Did you he, did you uh did you hear what Joe Burrow said on uh on Pardon My Take the morning after the national championship? No, I haven't listened to it, but I I know that part of the story as well that he said, "Yeah, it was that, real." Yeah, no. Did you listen Bur- to it? Yeah, Burrow straight up just said, "Yeah, OBJ gave me $1000 last night." <laughs> oh, he did? Yeah, and he said, "I can say that. I'm not a student athlete anymore." Oh my gosh. No, I didn't hear that part. Hysterically oh funny. And then you I'm throw actually, on top I'm, of it. I'm starting to really come around to the whole just make it a free for all thing. Just open it up for everything. Maybe maybe the OBG th- or the OBJ thing with uh with all this, maybe that'll just be like the the straw that breaks the camel's back. Well, here's the thing. 
the fact that he was there and was just giving money out, where does that come from? Does that, am I just so naive to think that, oh, that's just something that Odell Beckham Jr. thinks is cool. He just, no, dude, that's out. part or, of the culture. You know that that happened to he him when he was at LSU. Ex- okay, that's what I was trying to get to. Where it's like, so that's just what happens. <laughs> so it, just absolutely. Referring. Did you see Emmanuel Acho on on like College Football Live this morning? Said that yeah, they gave they they were offering a thousand dollars for every interception in the the national championship game against Alabama ten years ago. Man, I mean, it happens. It happens, guys. Well. I'm happy that guys like Emmanuel Acho and I guess just him I bring that up. I just the thing that I'm most annoyed about when the paying players and all the the shady stuff that you always hear about. I'm just annoyed that a lot of people that seemingly know what goes on or they have evidence they don't want to say anything because I guess they don't want to be snitches or they don't want to talk about it. Whereas like the only way that this stops I think is if everyone just comes out and says what happens. And that it's all, it, it will never transparent. stop. It will never stop. Human beings have have an insane ability to rationalize things in their head, and human beings really love to win. Mm-hmm. I mean, just you don't have to go any further than look at what's going on in Major League Baseball right now. People will go to ridiculous lengths to win because winning feels really good. Feels really good. Uh huh. I just, I have a tough time with all the, the shady college sports stuff, and I do too. I do too. It it's just, it's it 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 bugs me, which is why I like it's kind of broken me a little bit. I I used to be very very against all this stuff. Like I'm, but I just open it up, let everyone do it. And if and if if you don't think OU isn't doing this, then wake up and smell the coffee, Mrs. Bueller. Because well, I mean, here's the thing, though, it depends on in at what level is Oklahoma potentially doing stuff like this? Because I have on good authority that Lincoln Riley is a guy that he he is, quote-unquote, a clean guy. Like, he doesn't stand for this kind of stuff. And so how what that means, I don't know. I don't know enough about it. But I, I this, is, this is why this stuff annoys me. Because you hear things and certain, potentially people play by the rules and other people don't. Lincoln Riley's been, in a, he's only 34. Six, but he's been a coach ever since he graduated from college. So he's been a coach for like 15 years. So he knows what goes on. He's, so like if there's some sort of advantage that other people are getting that he knows about, but he's not partaking in, I, I, I don't know. This is why it's, it's so confusing to me. Like what is going on? What isn't? Because I'm just a big believer in if there's like this, a bunch of terrible things going on, how is there, there not just been a, a crazy crackdown on everything somehow. I, that's the thing. I don't know. Maybe because the NCAA is such a joke. I just don't know enough about this, and it's just it's so frustrating. To so, me so you're one of the are you you're one of the ones who doesn't think it's as widespread as as it's been. Just because you don't think it's like feasible, like logistically, it's not that, possible. This has I crossed just don't my think mind that too. So many people. I just don't. I don't believe in human beings being great at keeping secrets, like big time secrets that can get people arrested potentially. Look at the college basketball stuff. People don't. Well, keep none of secrets. this would get anyone. I don't, I don't, there's nothing illegal about some guy at a car dealership coming up to CD uh, Lamb and saying, "Hey, CD, good game," and then slipping him 500 bucks. It's not yeah. illegal. It's against NCAA rules. But I mean, doesn't this stuff have to happen 
before these guys get on campus to get them to go to these schools? I mean, how do they? So it's got to happen during the allegedly, yes. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I don't, I, mean, I don't like, know how would the how would the kids know? How would the players know that you know if they don't get this stuff during the recruiting process? That oh, once they get on campus at whatever school it is, that oh yeah, now I'm going to start getting random you know money from people. I just yeah, I, I don't know. I'm just I do not know anything about this, and this kind of goes back to my my ignorance when it comes to recruiting too. You know, I just, I'm not interested in it uh, compared to a, a lot of people that obviously follow college football. So I don't have much else to add on it. It's just, it, it's a very, uh, it's a frustrating topic for me because I just, I don't understand a lot of it. And I understand why, why a lot of teams can potentially and allegedly get away with a lot of things while others can't or don't try or th- that's why I have so many questions about the whole scenario yeah it would be i uh, yeah I, I would love like a tell-all book or something but it's never i mean it's never i don't know if that's ever going to happen if if people talk they're the programs that they that they work for and, and probably care about a lot get in trouble mm-hmm. and so i mean i, I but it's I like if think- you know that an opposing team or an opposing school for sure is doing something it's like what's the benefit of you know not talking about that other than you just don't want to be a snitch you don't want to be a tattletale because maybe you know that your guys are doing it too. So therefore, if you go out public, then they're going to come back with, oh, you're doing it too. I guess that could be it too. That probably is it. Now that I'm talking myself. And I don't through. know. I think it's, I, maybe, I, I think I tend to think it's, it's probably not as widespread as, as you think. Like, I don't know if, do people really need a ton of money to go to Alabama when they know that they're going to win it? Like, I mean, the results speak for themselves. If you go to Alabama, you're going to go to the NFL. Yeah. You know, like, I don't know. I don't know either. I think this podcast is run its course. God, I really want to talk about the, that MLB stuff. Man, that stuff's wow. good. That's good. That's juicy. Well, but feel I know free to talk that's about not... that on any other podcast. Oh, but, I know. Uh, I'm just I'm, won't be I'm on just, this one. I don't. I think that's this is like kind of this is good stuff, man. This is like this is like earth shattering, like sports story. It's good stuff. Did something happen in the last hour to make it happen that way? Because I, I just don't. Have you not? Have you, did you not see what like broke today with like the buzzers and stuff like that? No. Oh, you haven't. Okay, yeah, we'll, we'll talk about that off air. I'll tell you about it. No. Oh. All right. Yeah. Uh, just still in football mode, I guess. In basketball mode now, I suppose with, at work. So, all right. Well, oh, I was gonna say basketball uh, mode. Oh, man. OU's bad. They're not good, man. That was, I I was kind of on the fence the first like couple months of the season about whether or not OU was like decent or not good or or what. After watching that game against Kansas earlier this week, oh man, they're bad. They're not good. Yeah, Oof. it's starting to look like for the first time since I've been at News Nine in Oklahoma City that potentially OU and OSU will. Uh, not be dancing and so it makes me kind of wonder if i can if i should ask if i can get that first weekend of march madness off and maybe make a trip out of it have some fun since i since uh again it looks like i might not have to help out with work with uh, either one of those teams in the tournament but uh and man might still be too early to determine that i don't know yeah maybe but i uh, just a lot of it's disappointing i i thought i thought this ou basketball team had a pretty high ceiling uh, just with, because I mean, they got a lot of long, really good athletes. But man, they—I mean, 
shooting wise, they couldn't hit at, hit, hit water if they fell out of boat. I mean, they cannot shoot at all. And well, that, Austin I mean, Reeves is supposed to be the he's had a, he's the he's antidote to that. He's, he's really struggled this year. Um, which is I mean, which has been a, a problem for them. I, I think they really expected him to be a big deal this year, and um, and I, and I know I know Christian Doolittle is a pretty talented guy, but man, when when, when he's your star, I, I just I don't that guy takes so many terrible shots. My God, I just I he is he's one of the more frustrating basketball players to watch I've ever seen. Just I he he's just a he's just a walking talking bad shot. Oh, <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, I've been more dialed in with the Thunder so far than uh, OU, but I know that this is not a Thunder podcast, and you don't care about the Thunder. I think the either. Thunder has been um, has has effectively been really bad for OU basketball. Oh, it as is, far as just the interest and things like that. Yeah, it's yeah. sapped all the interest out of it. Well, it's been bad for all uh, college spring sports, to be honest with you. I mean, it's just uh, it takes most of the attention away because it's an NBA team. And, you know, before the Thunder, uh, this time of the year, obviously, was OU and OSU basketball. And then you get into the spring, you got OU softball, which they're always making a Women's College World Series just, run. Man, the NBA is just not that interesting. <laughs> well, when you're around it all the, every single day like I am and it's part of your job, it certainly helps that it helps the interest out. I, I'm actually really intrigued and interested in the Thunder season, but uh, I certainly understand if you are not and and others that don't follow the NBA as closely also are not into it. I get it. I used to be that person. I mean, yeah, All right, you, well, if, if you like it, that's cool. I, I don't want to I don't want to crap on stuff that people like, but <laughs> All right, well, we hope that you all enjoyed the second podcast of the week. I'm not sure when our next one's going to be. We're not going Grant and I are going to try to take a couple deep breaths I think here in this offseason not be as regimented I think last year we tried to get one per week in the offseason I believe I'm not sure if we did it the same day every week but uh, we're gonna I think we're gonna try to handle it as if we believe a podcast is warranted we're gonna do one but we're not gonna do a podcast just to do a podcast does that sound about right to you yeah, yeah. We'll uh, if we feel like we need to come on and talk about something, we will. I mean, we'll we'll obviously, uh, you know, come back at some point in time to talk about spring practice. Um, but no, I mean, I I think it'll be good to kind of take a step back for a bit. We uh, we hit it pretty hard at this time last year, and there was a lot to talk about with the new coaching staff and Jalen Hurts and whatnot. Uh, yep. This year, I think after how the season ended, I think it's it's probably best for everyone if everyone just kind of takes a step back, takes a take a breath a little bit. Uh, OU football is not life, although how much, how, however much we wish it, it could be, sometimes it's good to kind of just take a step back. Yeah, that's a good strategy, and that's a strategy that we will employ. Stay apprised of the West of Evers Facebook page. Follow Grant and I on Twitter. I am at Lee Benson News 9. Grant is at Grant Benson 25. You can reach out to us if you have any questions, comments, things like that. We will be uh, a click away. But uh, TBD on the next podcast. We hope you guys are okay with that. We appreciate your loyal listenership. And until next time, for Grant, I am Lee. This is West of Everest.